I don't feel like I'm trying to prove anything in this topic or trying to have an agenda in this topic. And yet I find myself going through a kind of a mental exercise that uh, it's not wrong to think on these things. Like to chew on it, to uh, you immediately feel like a heretic to talk about like defining heresy. Hmm. Um, it's ironic. Yeah, but uh, but I found it, um, especially doing a little bit of the scripture study. At least for me, it was edifying to kind of chew on this topic. Um, as to the flow, um, I guess it, I thought it'd be kind of interesting to get started kind of what we did last podcast but or the last time we got together we went over like definitions but i don't think we decided yet if we wanted to kind of go anywhere with that one so maybe we started out kind of going refreshing on the basics of uh, the definitions and uh, from there we can kind of go over some of the examples i i personally found it would be nice to kind of go over different examples we find in heresy um of good heresy and bad heresy, uh, just to kind of, for me at least, it helps my brain kind of relate to the topic, so we're not just kind of floating around. I know there's deeper thinkers here that that works for, but for me it doesn't work as well. Um, so, we had talked about last week that uh, according to he- Wiki, Heresy is any belief or theory that is strongly at variance with established beliefs and customs. Um, that's the their version of the Christian definition of heresy. Um, I looked. There's a little bit of difference between the Catholic and Protestant views um, of heresy. Uh, the Catholic had a interesting difference between uh, the material heresy, which is holding an erroneous opinion through no fault of one's own and is not sinful. And then the other one is formal heresy. And that involves willful and persistent adherence to an error in matters of faith. It is a grave sin and produces excommunication. Wow. Hmm. That's, that's pretty steep. I love when things I love when things produce excommunication. <laughs> no choices. It's just Yeah, and we were talking about how you uh, you could or at least the podcast we're listening to, and we will probably refer a couple of times to the uh, Trinity's podcast. There's a couple of them that we have listened to and have kind of gone back and forth uh, thinking on. Uh, but one of the statements said there was that uh, over history, the it was not necessary to actually confront someone on heresy. They would take the, the verse about uh, approaching someone who's living in error or heresy approaching them two times and after that um, dealing with them is to mean the bishops or the leaders to approach someone who's in this this first state of formal heresy and they would choose if they would actually need to deal with it or otherwise just ignore it and that way that person wouldn't be excommunicated even if they were living in so, you know propagating something that was contrary to what the Catholic Church believed. Um, is the, this during the Inquisitions that you're talking about? This that that was what we were talking about for uh, what they the podcast had said. I I'm just curious I if know. that due process was extended to the people <clears throat> during the Inquisitions. Like if they did go to them and ask them, like, "Hey, are you going to stop believing this or teaching this?" Or if they just kind of took them to the stake. 
Well, the Inquisitions were conducted by the, the was it the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus. It it was like that particular order of uh, of monks that was carrying that out under the auspices of the Catholic Church. That's what I was going to say. I thought it came from the top. Uh, from what I've read. I, my understanding is that it did come from the top, but that it was carried out through the Jesuits. Just to take a, a you know, a, um, a step back for a second about the Inquisitions, when we were filming the confession video with Micah and Ray, uh-huh. um, we have one shot that's supposed to be about the Inquisitions, and you see the torch, and you see the monk in the pole. You know, it's dramatic. But when we were walking towards the stake with a torch... Uh, there was this incredible fear and like sobriety that struck us, me and Micah, the guy filming. And then even the guy who was tied to the pole acting like the heretic being burned started to, to weep and cry and say, I can't believe that we did this to each other at a certain spot in history. Like we were just thinking of just some random thing he could believe that was against you know the the teaching at that time and just uh, when we held the torch in our hand even though it was just for a you know a short film it was amazing to think that somebody's belief um that was against what was being you know hardlined at that time could literally bring a man to the stake and have his brothers and sisters in christ like burn him i mean that (laughs) yeah that's just i mean (laughs) it's the I guess it's kind of on topic, but it's the most radical, you know, end game of what we're talking about tonight. But yeah, I just wanted to like say that because it was such a powerful moment to think that ideas could bring a man to the stake and not by people from the outside, but from his own. Mm. That was something that came to mind when we were talking about Bruno uh, was OK. So it, at least in my view, he was a real heretic, you know. He's going away from the church and, and doing magic and summoning celestial beings. I mean, that's... He was an interesting cat. I, <laughs> I, 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 I would imagine that's firmly in the heresy camp for most people. Um, but how, how should you treat somebody like that? Because burning at the stake seems like a bad option. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Couldn't you say, hey, bro, like maybe chill with the magic yeah but but then you're you're saying like well what is the disciplinary yeah action you take like, like at most it should be like hey maybe you don't come back to church until you're done <laughs> you know summoning ostroth <laughs> once you decide that you don't want to do that anymore we'll be we'll be happy to have you back right, right. Like, right. <laughs> 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 well i mean it you know this is your brain this is your brain on a po- poisonous epistemology you know it's like that that there's not a whole lot of humility in in the heresy hunting of the Catholic Church. Yeah, and uh, and I I have a tough time finding any kind of line when when it comes to like keeping people out of your assembly because you don't like what they say. I understand that, you know, but like any kind of like definition of a person. You know, any kind of judgment of a person uh, on the, along the lines of what he thinks, like, I just find it to be very questionable. I, I find that process to be questionable. You know, when it, you know, if, if the guy, if the guy 
is at all interested in being a part of the Christian world and your answer to his, like when I imagine Bruno, I imagine like a kid with ADHD that like ends up being a genius who's just into everything, you know, and he's so dissatisfied with the Catholic church. How could you not be? It's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, an incubator for heresy because you have zero answers and you keep people from answers. Sure. And, and what do you expect? The guy's looking everywhere for something that, you know, something that like at least stimulates his mind. You know, he was an amazing thinker. He was the first one to think of the universe as being limitless. The first one to really question there being an edge to the universe. Like, I don't know if you saw the Cosmos show that Ty- Neil deGrasse Tyson did. He did, you know, his, you know, they Carl Sagan did the Cosmos show uh-huh. in the 70s or yeah. whatever. Well, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson recently redid it and he had an episode on the limits of space. I believe that was the one that Bruno was on. And he, all of, all of his episodes, he would have, you know, at least one figure in the history of science that, that they would make into like a cartoon, okay. you know, a cartoon rendition of the guy's life. And they showed Bruno like in his dreamscape or in his, you know, in, in his thought space, like imagining an end to the universe and then like questioning the end and lifting it like a sheet you know, like, like the, you know, like a tapestry on the wall, like mm-hmm. looking behind it and then going further and further. And to me, like someone like that, if you don't know what to do with someone's initiative and like you're, I mean, I can't expect much from the Catholic church at that time. Yeah. It, it was so poisonous, the leadership and the, you know, the whole marriage of church and state was such a poisonous environment that I can't expect them to get anything right. So like, what would I do with Bruno? I mean, I know I know people like Bruno, and I I want them around. Yeah, and I don't want labels put on them. And I would I would take issue with anybody that would want to put a label on them, you know, uh, especially in their develop you know in the development of their worldview because the guy was formulating his worldview. Yeah, and he wasn't preaching. The guy was, he was he was in the system. He wasn't a head pastor. He wasn't. He, he was, was publishing. I mean, we have many published works of his in Latin. Yeah, a lot of that with that stuff. Yeah, but a lot of it was like his thought, his his scientific pro- progress, if you want to call alchemy with scientism, right. you know. Um, but he, you know, he was on a certain path, and uh, I agree with you. I don't agree. I, you know, I question the summoning of spirits. But like understanding the context of this guy's adventure is important. Yeah, and um, uh, this is just my—that's my piece on that. But um, but but the question of what we would do with someone like Bruno today, I don't know if he would get to the same spot where where he where he was not allowed to question, you know, the major things. Like, I think that it's a healthier environment today. Yeah. And, uh... Why do you think it's healthier today? Well, I think diversity in the Christian... In the Christian world is probably... It probably takes away a lot of that epistemic pride. You know, I... We we see it in the Reformed movement, like a really prideful view on the rest of Christianity. 
and I, I've had it towards them. So I've had pride towards, you know, some of the Christian world, but, but I think that like, just because of the diversity and because of the developments in science and what we've got out of human, out of human endeavor in the last couple hundred years, the last 50 years, the gravity of human discovery and human endeavor is growing. And, uh, and I think that the average man has a couple of things to balance in his worldview. Now it, it's not just scripture, unless you live in a hole, hmm. like you balance, you balance, not, not that it overrides scripture, but it's just a different way of knowing things that science brings different things to the table. And that, that because of those, the presence of other forms of information, I think people are more open to hearing from different sides of different sides of the coin, you know? So, well, I think our culture now has also played into that, that uh, the whole thought of democracy and accountability and, and things like that. I feel like for the longest time, the authoritarian form of government uh, and culture has affected like you as a person, how much you're, you're supposed to think for yourself right. versus how much you're not supposed to question. Like big know. brother type stuff? Yeah, like, uh, you know... Um, you know, you got your the whether the king had the spiritual blessing or not, the king was the king. And if you go against anything that's king, it's treason and you just don't go there, you know, like that those kind of things that now we don't we don't really throw around the word treason the same way. Like there aren't yeah. topics we're scared of and terrified of. I mean, as much as back in the day there's just areas that might be gray but they're too close to the word treason, so you leave them all in my view uh, we've come a long way from that, and you can kind of see, I mean, in many ways, probably the the, the erosion of respect for authority um, in a negative that, way. Do you but, think that that's helped us be more open to other points of view that, I mean, in a, in a good way? Um, like, spiritually, yeah, I would, I would say so, um, where, like he's saying, like, you're no longer just taking uh, one input in the sense of someone that, you know, you're, you're... I, I would say that we are balancing what we hear with the scripture itself. Hmm. Whereas, I mean, the whole reason that uh, uh, Luther and, and the guys of his age, they were they were persecuted and people were killed because how dare you give the people, you know, the public, the common folk, the Bible, they can't understand it. That's, yeah. that's a pretty clear indication of authority and don't question as you can get. High, hmm. high treason. Uh, was a drawing and quartering offense in England. It was not a light word. <laughs> huh. Can you can you unpack that for some of us who are a little more ignorant of English history? Drawing and quartering was a punishment by which they would tie a mule to each of a man's four limbs. Gotcha. And have and them pull him apart, and then they would cut him up. Ah, hence the quartering. What, Hence the did, did any yes. of that happen as a religious punishment? Like no, that the was, Anglican Church, did they do any of that? I don't believe so. That was the civil punishment for high treason. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. The Anglican Church has is like Catholic light. Like they got founded so that you could marry another <laughs> yeah. spouse. Yeah. Was that Henry? Yeah. Who, yeah. Henry the Eighth. Um. 
what you're saying what you're saying about uh, authority to me is really in the last couple of podcasts has been the issue in question like everyone is appealing to authority in their in their chasing down of heresy you know in even with the you know even with the Salem witch trials like there was an appeal to a certain authority of the elders of that movement and i to me if you look at 20 year 20 cent 20 centuries of christianity one of the major things that stands out on the negative side there's many positive things that stand out but the one of the major thing that stands out on the negative side is what what the abuse of authority quote-unquote spiritual authority looks like yeah like in real time in little spaces in little cults you know in the in munster germany right or in you know in calvin's uh geneva or obviously in the catholic church over the course of you know probably 15 centuries 14 15 centuries i i find spiritual authority to be or an appeal to authority within the within the church to be something that is problematic huh. and and not that I don't believe in a spiritual authority I don't think that a man can be moved of God to leave lead other men I do believe in that I've seen it with my own eyes I just I just find the appeal to that you know that abstract concept and it is abstract like I, I find the appeal to it to be dangerous and I think that's what I found interesting about this uh, topic is uh, that everyone's using the same word uh, as if it's not abstract. And uh, when you chew on it, the more you like, it's like uh, it, to me, it was like the word treason. Like mm. it's that word that says that, that game over. It's the end game. Like you've you've gone against the good thing. And uh, and it's very definitive. Like there's a very specific def. De- it's, it would seem like you know what, what those things are that you've crossed the line. And then you look and you see where, um, how it can kind of get blurred. Like I, to, to balance that, when you look at scripture, most of the scripture verses that I was reading on the, on the topic, it was very fascinating how little of it had to do with specific doctrines or specific, um, uh, Teachings? Teachings, yeah. It had, like, a lot of the times, heresy was directly, when it was used as a divisive thing, it was very, it's, and there, actually there aren't that many mentions, but the times they are mentioned, a number of times they go along with false doctrines, uh, heresies coming out of someone who is intentionally being divisive to do his own thing. Like, almost like a reaction to deciding, hey, I'm, I'm doing this like lust of the flesh kind of thing, uh, and uh, and and not that clearly defined as to what we're actually talking about, you know, yeah. which I found kind of fascinating. But that's like the balance is like why are we scared to discuss the authority like issue of it? Is that it would seem that that's one of the only lines through scripture of what it what a tendency could be is to go against authority but then you have to actually look at it and i see pretty blatantly that it's talking about being divisive for the sake of being divisive to like take away the 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 lust of like mine i'm taking like you're coming with me like kind of spreading but from your own ego uh 
disseminating something uh, that is contrary, uh, which I, I've, I've enjoyed our discussion on, and I hope we can continue it to today about like how much uh, as a person am I willing to um, tolerate what seems like error uh, and in my own thought that I'm right, like how how much should we tolerate and how much should we really see the bigger picture? One, a couple of the passages of, I, I wish I did have them before me, but about how uh, how we should, uh, how vital unity is um, for the church. What do you guys think? I think if if someone is exploring principles of faith and theology. Um, that we should be very patient with them and allow them as much room as they need to to search out the true God. I mean, I the, one of the quotes I love from Lampson was, "Where the soul is free, there must of necessity be diversity of opinion in religion. If you would have entire uniformity of opinion, you must fetter the soul's freedom. You must repress the loftiest exercise of its powers. You may quote make a solitude and call it peace." But do you thus honor God or religion? And I love that quote because it's like, now granted, I, I don't agree with everywhere he lands, but mm -hmm. I would say that the, the freedom of the soul to explore the Godhead, to explore theology, to explore church history is huge. And everyone should be afforded that freedom. And there has to be, by necessity, like he's saying, a diversity of opinion for you to have that exploration. So if we're cutting off diversity of opinion at the pass, or we're saying no, you can't. It's almost like it's almost like you can explore here, here, and here. But like here's the few streets you can't go down. And of course you're gonna go. Why? Why can't I go down them? And those are gonna be the ones you want to look at. So should there be any avenues of theology? Should there be any avenues of doctrine, um, regardless of the labels we put on them, that we cannot personally explore, or that someone else can explore uh, can't explore in our presence that we can't find some kind of I don't know, like some kind of um, gentle disposition towards that search, like some kind of understanding that, hey, we're all in this together. It's really hard to figure things out, and we may not actually figure things out at the end of the day. So you have all the room you need to explore. Like I would imagine, Dave, as a parent, right? Like, you know, you want to give Joey the room to explore, right? You want him to eventually, I mean, you have a structure now because he's so young, but as he gets older, aren't you going to want to give him that room to explore and not cut off his avenues of exploration? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how it'll work because <laughs> there's so many willful, you know, there's so many willful uh, notions in a parent's, you know, learning curve, you know, like you just get to certain spots and you're, you're learning of how to be a parent that you, you just have you just struggle with letting the kid be a kid or letting the kid you know um be wrong and uh i i hope i sure hope that i would i would be you know a helpful guide and 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 you know someone that he could talk to openly about his search you know yeah i i agree man there's yeah i Andrew, totally agree um If I could play Pope's advocate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Someone has to. Yeah. So I like this wiki definition 
of heresy. It's any belief or theory strongly at variance with established beliefs or customs. Like I know one thing that we uh, discussed before and had a disagreement on was whether or not like the church fathers and traditions of men could be a qualifier for heresy. Um, and I think it can. Um, if you look at the idea of law from uh, the New Testament, like the word nomos, originally it meant not just law, but like the tradition of your people, right? It's uh, an opinion or tradition, and uh, I think Torah carries similar connotations, like the uh, the old men would sit at the gates of the city and, and discuss the matters of the civil law. Um, so this, uh, the idea of heresy might not be so much one of specific transgression as of identity. Like, when I decide to go down a road that changes my identity fundamentally, like, I am not like these people. I don't believe that Christ came in the flesh and rose again. Like, I don't think that. Well, okay, you can think that. You can go down that road. But you've chosen a fundamentally different path from the one that the tradition of our people as as uh, Christians have. So, so that person has separated themselves in a way. Would you right? think but that's, that's a Gnostic a heresy, and that is explicitly dealt with in Scripture? Yeah, there are other things that are considered essential by the quote-unquote tradition of Christianity that are are argued as unesse- as non-essential. Could you give right. an example? As early, like the Trinity. Okay. But could it could it be that somebody who comes into church and is strongly against the Trinity and is sowing division? that person might be labeled a heretic he's 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 not necessarily factually wrong that's not necessarily the question he's, he's just being divisive in our place of worship divisive. Well, can I we totally define s- being divisive is but, he standing at the door with pamphlets but i don't know if that's heresy because here like if you boil everything like i i think that this group is interested in in the pure notion i really believe that okay i don't know that i believe that exists you don't believe heresy exists Pure notion? The pure notion. Maybe, okay, so like there's this Catholic idea, there's what, heresy writ large, and how do they, material heresy versus formal heresy. Yeah. According to Wiki. So, like, there are definitely certain things you can say that is directly contradictory with what the Bible teaches. Clearly, you know, that's not what could fairly be said to be a Christian belief, right? That's one thing. But heresy, as it's been used through history by the church... Functional, is it a function it's, of... It's a functional Church thing. authority, it's yeah. It's a social thing. It's very fuzzy, and it has to do with the way the person is relating to the church as a whole. Which we've talked about this before, about be, is it a church governance issue, or is it an individual issue of yeah. heresy? Um, but what you just pointed out comes back to whether heresy is motive... Like, is it the motive behind the error of doctrine or is it the actual error of doctrine how do you, what do you even think? know your own motives this gets really tricky because that's where it gets great for me it's like i might think i'm like doing the right thing before god and maybe my motives suck 
Or maybe it's the opposite. I think I'm like a heretic and I'm like the man for that church. So here's, um, Paul was accused of being a heretic or not a heretic, but he was considered. Yeah, actually he was. Um, the Jews were accusing him of being a heretic of the faith, uh, the Jewish system. And he obviously was doing things against the Jewish traditions. Um, but uh, when he went to defend defend it, I found it interesting that he kind of, um, his, it seemed to me that it boiled down to the gospel. Like the things he was doing, he wasn't directly contradicting the Jews in many cases. He was actually preaching to the Gentiles. And the way, reason he came into question before the Jews is Jews that were in the Gentile areas heard about him, went, heard his teaching and went, oh, he's going against the, the law and against the temple and brought back that report to Jerusalem. So when he went to worship in the temple in Jerusalem, they grabbed him and were ready to stone him because they thought he was a heretic. He was going against their thing, what they had going. And his whole reason for doing it, though, was the gospel. Like out, he was talking to the Gentiles, but it was going against the traditions of the establishment. And um, he gave his uh, kind of his defense, which I found interesting um, for himself in Acts 24, uh, 14 through 16, somewhere in there. And he's talking to both the court system of the time, a secular Roman court, I think, and also to the Jews who were like slandering him. And he says, but I confess to you that the way which you call a sect or, you know, heretic, uh, uh, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and the prophets. Like I believe the same stuff you do. If we're going back to the scripture, and then he, then he gives, I, ho I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead. So he gives an outline of both the just and the unjust. And this is what caught me is he also said, this being so, I, I myself also strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Like he had this, his, it seemed like he, for, obviously he heard from God. So it was a little bit more specific than for many of us, but his whole defense was, hey, guys, I am like without offense before God. And men. I'm not doing this against I'm doing what I was called to do. And it, to me, I see a lot of times the motive boils down to or to, from my personal self, it boils down to the gospel. Like, is it about the gospel or so not? If, if we buck the tradition in the name of the furtherance of the gospel, it would. Ha OK, it, so would that be. Like when we when we could say we're not a heretic if it's for the furtherance of the gospel. This is how I this was my question to you guys actually was where where do you find it worthwhile to be a heretic? <laughs> like where what where is that line? Um, and for I mean one as in in this case we're talking about as a parishioner like you're going to a group and we believe a specific uh, we came in we believed God, you know, we came into a church and where do we find a spot where we go, that's off enough that I'm willing to cause a division here. And we're I'm, talking about the church proper, no local yeah. assembly. No, no, no. Okay. I, we're talking about Paul in, a, a, I mean, that's not even Christian, but in a Jewish religious community, right, right. we're talking about Martin Luther. We're talking about there. We, we've today. talked about a number of examples where uh, you just have to, qu you can't assume that you're in the right place. Right. You know, so everyone has to have 
some and this is where this chewing on this is I've enjoyed it is, is the thought of um, everyone wants to be right but you can't take for granted the fact that you might not be you know and uh, what is the urge of us to be right and ready to raise hell for being right? And what is the right motives, which would be something different? Like, where is that line for you guys? You know, like, That's okay. Such so, a loaded question. So at some point, I'm willing to be called a heretic in my own group. Treason, you know. Yeah. But for what? What is that worth? <clears throat> and Paul seemed to think he had a good enough reason. Yeah. What do you guys think? Uh, I will put it in two general categories. Um, one, how do you identify God? You know, is Jesus God? That's kind of a big deal. So how do you, how do you relate to God? And two, how do you treat people? So those, those are, those are the two great commandments. Love your neighbor. No. The first is <laughs> is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your muchness. <laughs> and, and then the uh, the second is you, thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. Right. So if if I am dead sure that either of those two commandments are being violated, then you know, even if I'm going against a thousand people, I'm not the heretic, but I'm sure they'll call me one. <laughs> right. You know, um, but if if those laws uh, of God are being transgressed, then I would, you know, if if you're mistreating your people, or if you're misidentifying God hmm. for a Christian church. Now, I mean, if you've got a synagogue or a mosque or whatever, like. That's your own game, right? That's so, that's none of my business. This is you but, as a parishioner, right? This is a, you as someone as a, in a church. Not We're not talking about leadership. We're talking about you as a, in a church. As a parishioner in yep. a church, if somebody gets up and starts to say, oh, well, you know, Jesus is actually Krishna. Well, no, I would be a heretic for that. That's misidentifying God according to the religion I've been taught. I mean, I, I'm not looking to change religions, so I would go against that. <laughs> hmm. You know, for me, it it, it uh, centers on that second command you were talking about, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself, and not yeah. wanting to see people manipulated. Like, there's very few things that can get my blood boiling, but if I feel like someone's being manipulated, and then it's it's um, how can we say it? The scriptures is being used as a tool to manipulate people. That's probably a better way of saying it. That makes my blood boil. Um, not because I haven't probably done it on accident. Hopefully never purposefully. Um, so I'm not better than anyone who's done it. It's just that that mechanism of using the scriptures and 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 actually putting someone in a bind or, or trying to control their life. I can't stand that. And I would say those are the moments in my life where I was comfortable being a heretic. Where I thought... It's it's in the name of making sure that people are not manipulated and lied to, that I am causing division or or maybe not even causing outright division. Like I don't have pamphlets at the door when they're taking the offering, but like I, in my heart, I know how I will answer if someone asks me what I think about what's being done. Yeah, you know, like and that's a a big one for me. And of course, like you're saying, the first one is is maybe more central than misrepresenting God, but 
see i'm at a place in my life where i'm not entirely sure how to represent god or like what yeah. aspects of his character and nature i do have nailed down i certainly find the second more offensive and personally moving right and it's something we can kind of define more easily right like yeah. you're screwing with someone's life and that's different than you're misrepresenting god's nature because at least for for people who are in the same boat as me which i think you are some some days yeah uh i don't really know entirely what god's like so i wouldn't be sure whether or not someone was misrepresenting him or not no and, and that would be hard for me to pin down as a someone as a heretic for is, that. is this totally. us mostly being abstract though are we agreeing to the fact that this is experiential or do we find this a biblical th- like we can ground this biblically i think it's biblically groundable those two not to manipulate people those two (laughs) causes for for stepping in and making a ruckus yeah because i mean this is the the dilemma of the whole conversation is is heresy abstract and um well one of the things that kind of relates um is uh, i think it was in second peter when uh, or i'm not sure but it was he was when talking about false teachers Mm mm-hmm um, one of the things that would happen is the false teacher, when he goes his way and does his thing, there'd be swift destruction for him. And I don't actually know what that means, but one of the results and why it was dangerous uh, was that uh, many would be led astray and that would cause a, uh, them to blaspheme the name of God. Hmm. Or blaspheme, no, it was actually blaspheme the way. The way way. And I I thought that might be relevant to what we're talking about. That maybe, honestly, when I was looking at it, I really thought, uh, the more I was looking at it, how much it seemed to be stressing the motive. But at the same time, it's so hard to pinpoint. But you can be deceived. Like, I know there's a passage uh, in the epistles, I, I believe it's in his epistle to Timothy, where it says, deceiving others and being deceived, the teachers. Yeah. So they were like... They were eating their own cake, you know, their own poisonous cake, and then feeding it to other people. And it's like almost like as they were getting deeper in the lie, they were bringing others with them. But they, I'm not sure they were entirely sure how deep they were in that lie themselves, before, you know, in their own conscience before God. Mm. I agree with Andrew, um, but I would just not use the word heresy. I, um, I would say, like, my personal decision-making as a parishioner um, I have personal convictions on what could be considered propositionally, you know, true from Scripture, relevant to today. I have my personal convictions on that. And in a given church, you're going to hear things that don't align. Um, and there's, you know, there's kind of like, you know, there's kind of like a meter for things that may align with your personal understanding of Scripture um, and not align. And then there's things within that understanding of scripture that you, I, every person has their own emphasis, a way that the Bible hits them, a different emphases within scripture, you know, and, and priority of emphases. And, uh, that's why you have conservative and you have liberal Christians, politically speaking, because they're, the way they assimilate scripture is different. You know, they, they have a different priority structure. So I have my personal, as a parishioner, I have my personal understanding of who God is and what I really believe him to be like and what I would consider to be unacceptable to hear in church. And I think that even if I would were to hear something I find unacceptable, a lot of the times I can chalk it up to just the ep- the epistemic situation that we happen to be in. Yeah. 
you know, and the fact that this guy can't know what he's talking about hundred percent. And he is going to, he's going to misunderstand just like I'm going to misunderstand things. And I, maybe I'm in the right on this issue and maybe I'm not. And I have to make a judgment call in the moment. And then when people are being mistreated by leadership, you know, I also have like a meter for what I'm, for what I'll, you know, tolerate sure. as a parishioner. So if you were Martin but, Luther. But let me, let me just finish the idea. Yeah. Heresy. I just feel like, I just feel like there's a really bad habit in modern Christianity of, uh, the the attempt to overlay uh the scripture of the of the epistles abstract it from its contract of its context and overlay it to the current situation mm. i just find it to be a problematic you know uh, endeavor not that you can't take things from the epistles and apply them today i believe that many things said have to apply to everyone for all time that believes in God and everyone throughout the church age that believes in Christ, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so on. But do you mean like practical forcing a practical application? What I mean is this, the early church is a situation. It's a space. (laughs) It is, it's a creation. It's, it's, it has a context. It has, it's a movement with actual people. Those people have actual personalities. There's something actually being done or not done. There are opponents to it that are state, you know, external at, on the state level, external on the, you know, on the marketplace of ideas level, internal, you know, relating to the state, relating to the marketplace of ideas, relating to the Jew- Jewish tradition. There are serious, you know, serious points of reference that we can just leave on the table when we're reading about heresy in the early church. Just leave it right there. I think that there is, I think there's a a real problem, even a hundred years later, getting so crazy about calling people heretics when the real, the real core of the Christian movement was dealing with huge problems that would have ended the movement. So it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, we're speaking of function that the movement would have ended. So, so when I talk about, when I think of heresy or I think of like sending brethren away, I, I have a tough time taking the ideas. I mean, it sounds horrible, but I have a tough time taking a verse and applying it today when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. We're so far removed. So to me, the definition of heresy changes shape. It morphed. In my opinion, it morphed. And now it's like what you were what you were saying. Does it have to do with the gospel? I don't know who was saying it, but I think that it's like that. It's like I believe that Calvinism is heresy, but not in the same way that Bruno was burned at the stake. Like I think that's a that's a strange, poisonous direction that the church took. And to to think of the word heresy and that kind of behavior in the same sentence, I almost want to use a different word. And when I think of Calvinism, I, I, I love the people that are, that are within Calvinism. I think a lot of people are unwittingly a part of it uh, just because of the natural draw to knowledge that people have. And I think the teachers of the movement, even many of the teachers, they're, they're drawn by certain aspects of their, per, their you know, perspective on God and they're, you know, genuinely love God. They just are really misguided 
and they and and I believe that they're misleading people. But w when I use the word heresy, I have this I have this ancient feeling in myself of like they're not Christians, they're going to hell, they're adding to the Bible and all this stuff. And I don't know jack about that. I don't know a damn thing about that. Nothing. Heresy is like because of the weight of the word. I just am super careful with that. That's, I I've said all my of piece. Us should be. Yeah. So, to clarify, you think that the word heresy should be used uh, only in situations where something is so um, dangerous that it could impact like the very existence of the church, and that most error and most situations no matter how twisted in a local assembly probably can't meet that uh criteria is that what you're saying i think it was the it was for the practical uh survival of the church okay. that people made it an issue you know and the appeals to authority were so important at that time the string of authority paul to timothy timothy the faithful men teach faithful men teach faithful men the authority was clear because the movement would not survive and the achievement of the, the gospel going into all the world would not have happened. We're clearly in a different situation now. So would you call like an Absalom-esque situation in a church? Like say the, say the youth leader runs away and splits off a church. It's happened like scores of times. Yeah. So youth leader splits off, starts his own church because he doesn't believe in hell. Would you call that heresy? No. No. Okay. So if somebody makes an active choice to undermine the pulpit, is that heresy? No. No. Okay. It's division, and it may be awesome. You might be in a church that really sucks <laughs> and, and is really has a hateful message yeah. and is really legalistic, and I would applaud someone for causing division in that church. Yeah. I and, think it's awesome. I, I would understand that to be from the administration's viewpoint, they could validly call that heresy. And that's a position at which I would I would say, okay, I'll be a heretic here because I want yeah, to cause division. But they shouldn't this. be using the word that way. They're, no. I think okay. that they're confused. I think, I mean, don't you think the ego wears many hats? And one of the, the hats that fits it nicely through church history is that appeal to authority you're talking about. When I have God's signature at the bottom of the contract mm. so i feel like that's that's an extension of the human ego that gets really nasty because it's not even person to person it's divine command to person to person yeah so i feel like when we talk about appeals to authority like one of the verses i love in the scripture uh is when paul says the authority that i have is for your edification not your destruction it's like he's appealing to the authority, but he's saying it's like it's to build something in you, not to destroy you because I have some you should all be like shaking when I'm writing you this letter. So like I think that was a beautiful example of how Paul's ego wasn't wearing the authority of God like that, that dirty old hat and was saying, if I have any authority, you know, and I believe I do, then I would want to edify and build the church. I would never want to hurt the church yeah. by, you know, labeling people and bringing them to the stake. Yeah. So I think. I mean, in studying church history the last two years, especially for this degree, one thing I can see is just over and over. It's like a it's like a CD that's scratched and just skips on the same track of narcissism and abusive tendencies and authoritarian regimes called the church. I think that is an uglier side of the ego, you know, and it's just it sucks that it comes through that way, you know, in a religious context. But if you call it anything else, <laughs> I think you're being disingenuous, like. You know, you're a heretic. Why? Because like 
God has commanded it this way and you're going against that. It's like, okay, you're being dishonest. You really are bothered that I'm going against what you think is correct. Right. Yeah. Because my thing is, I, I said to someone once, you know, um, are you upset with this person because they're annoying? Are you upset with this person because you feel they're violating something scriptural? And at, at, they actually admitted like, well, I guess I'm just kind of annoyed at the way they go about their questions and the way they're contrary, they're contrarians, right? Mm. So I think that's an important question. And that's what, you know, to me is fertile soil for self-righteousness is this idea that someone needs to line up this way. And then, and God said so, by the way, you know, and that's, I think, where some of this nasty stuff comes out. And that's why I agree with you that I don't think heretics should be thrown around. I don't think people should have appeals to God's authority. And if you have authority, it should be something that makes you so terrified and reverent of the God who gave it to you that you're treating his people in, you know, the kindest, most sacred way possible. Like if I if I have authority, like Paul's saying, like I would want to encourage and strengthen the church. I wouldn't want to be throwing you know, the H word around and talking about people burning or literally in some cases in church history, actually burning. What's, what's that Huxley quote? The, uh, to be able to do evil and call it good to be able to treat other people badly in the name of good is among the most delicious of moral treats. Oh my gosh. Is that Aldous Huxley? Yeah. He's got some really interesting things to say. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying, Dave? I do. So when you're saying you're afraid that people will be throwing that word around. I'm with you. And I, I, the more I think about it and read, I think it's it's the ego wearing a dirty hat for church history. I just don't think people have direct access to the space from which they could call things heresy in that form. I, I, I don't think people have that kind of access. I think we see through a, we th- see through a glass darkly, right? It's difficult for us to see what's going on. It really is. I mean, we believe that God exists, and we agree, we believe that the phenomenon of Scripture is coming from the God that exists. How that works, we don't know, but we believe it in some form. That's that is Christian. That you know that God exists, and that Scripture is somehow from Him. And there's disagreements as to how, but that is that seems to be obvious, and that the person of Christ is coming from God, and His work was from God, and these are basic concepts, you know, and, um, I think that when someone is so deep in their own opinions on, of, of those basic things, you know, they, they're in scripture, they're deep in scripture, they've got their presuppositions concerning, you know, how they're, how they're, um, how they're going to do their, um, their, their, what their, um, um, not exegesis, what's it called when you, their hermeneutic, their hermeneutic is informed by their presupposition on scripture. And that presupposition is a really like, if if you just say, like, if you say to a pastor, like, what do you believe about, what are the main things in scripture? And they come up with a list, right? Well, that list comes from a hermeneutic that they used in, you know, in, in, uh, rightly dividing the word or whatever, right? Just like we did a little earlier. Right. <laughs> and uh and everybody does, right? Right. And and Thank that, you for that gut check, Dave. And that hermeneutic <laughs> and that hermeneutic as to why we're going about picking certain verses to correlate with other verses and just to decide that like the sheer number of mentions of something 
would make for a major doctrine. It's mentioned so many times. To decide that the, the number of mentions would make it cardinal or, or basic or, or essential, that is an, that's an arbitrary decision. It's a good one. I think it's a, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a logical decision, but it is arbitrary, arbitrary. Somebody watched Sesame Street a few too many times. (laughs) One, two, three times. Four times. (laughs) But, but any, all that to say that I think that the, the basic things about Christianity, the fact that God exists, the fact that God used language and we have a representation of it today, the fact that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, a human being from God, right? Like these are basic principles. And I feel like these things are falsifiable. Like Islam is not falsifiable. No one can reverse course on Islam. Islam, it comes from a cave. No one was there. This is what God said. You know, go ahead, try and disprove that, right? But we're saying, like, this is falsifiable. In 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus wasn't raised, let's go home and have a sandwich, right? Let's be done and not be Christians, right? Period. We're of men most miserable. And, like, if it's falsifiable, then it's still falsifiable today. If it's falsifiable in the first century, it's falsifiable today. And that's to me, is equally attendant with the facts that we put forth positively about Christianity. The fact of God existing... The fact of Jesus, you know, existing and dying and being raised from the dead, the fact of scripture being something from God and the fact that Christianity is falsifiable, like these things should all come together. So when people ask questions or people are wandering or people are, you know, are, are, you know, quote unquote, like contrarians, like to me, Christianity is about the dialectic. That's what it's about. It's about finding out what these original things mean. What are the implications? What are further things we can draw from it, et cetera, et cetera. So like for somebody 20 centuries later to say, you're a heretic, it's just, I just find it to be like, it's it's an uneducated position. You said something in our second podcast that we weren't able to release. That um, won't be on here. <laughs> that won't be on here. Uh, that I thought was really good that's dovetailing what you were just saying and it's the Christian historical church is a discussion the Christian church is a discussion of the ramifications of Christ's existence and I thought what a great way to say that like that's how it began and shouldn't it continue you know and that's what you were saying in in the other podcast as well Um, the creeds you know that were that were formed from the church fathers should be an open discussion, not, you know, something that was closed. And, and shouldn't we be able to keep thinking the thinking about these things and thinking them through? Like, shouldn't we be able to add and and maybe even take away if, if we feel that something is arbitrary, like you're saying? Can I flip the question on you guys? Sure, Dave. Because um, <laughs> we we're talking from the viewpoint of being people in the church, thinking about things, questioning things, having that ability and the health of it. But um, uh, I agree. I totally agree with what we've been talking about. How rare we should use the word heretic. But um, putting yourself in church leadership shoes instead uh, for a little bit, um, you are forced to think about others and uh, how they could be misled. And at the same time, you are forced to think about people that 
don't have proper motives for asking questions, not just asking questions, but positing things to take people away. And we know that can, like you were saying, like that has more to do with Dave about um, divisiveness and, and maybe not calling that heresy right off the bat, but um, where do you draw the line? Uh, more not as a person, but as a leader, like you're in church leadership, you care about your people. And you find that there are some very stra strange or erroneous things. And it's one thing to talk about them as cert, you know, seekers or those who are exploring as a baby Christian. But some person who has come to certain conclusions in his own, maybe from God, maybe not. We don't, you know, we can't really place it. But something that seems way off or seems to be going against the gospel, if we decide to put it at that level. Can you talk about that a little bit? If there's a lady in my church, if I have a church someday and there's a lady in my church that's reading palms after church, like, n not just like, oh, look at your lifeline, but like, you know, reading palms, like legit, or has tarot cards out at the wrap, right? <laughs> or like, you know, or a couple, or like three or four couples that have orgies every couple of weeks, you know, and feel free to talk about it. Like, these are things that I would say, I would address along my convictions of what scripture says about these things, right? But it's within the sphere that they've agreed to be a part of, right? This is a sphere where like we have a we have a common understanding of the things that we know to be true and the things that we believe to be true and the things that we're convicted to be true and the things that we are are like that we're pretty sure are true and the things that we have a feeling are true and like all the way down to like oh, I don't even know. Right. I don't know if that's true or not, but like they're in that grade, in that spectrum, there's things that I'm just going to address like as like, look, dude, don't do tarot cards at the wrap, you know, like, no, but where why, is that line? Why, where, where do you find that line? Well, that's subjective. That's what I'm saying. It's it's within the dialectic Christianity, within the dialectic, within the discussion. Yes. The, the um, thesis, antithesis, thin, synthesis, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, the dialectic. Someone saying something, another person saying, no, I don't believe that. And then you find synthesis over the centuries. This is where, this is why there's hundreds of denominations and we have freedom, freedom to, to, to start churches. Well, but the, the and, level of common uh, understandings of what the Bible says yeah. is what forms churches. So right. that's for most people, that's a much um, there's much more commonality than what we're talking about here right now. Yeah. And where do you find yourself able to say, "Hey, I can come down on this, and this I can't because this isn't common." You mean like what type of infraction? <clears throat> Yeah, basically, like, like you're Andrew finding said, like at a, a very high an level. An infraction that 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 changes <laughs> that changes the the paradigm of who God is or how God works in time and space. Someone that comes in and says, like, "Stop praying." When you pray, it goes to Zeno. It doesn't go to God the Father. So stop praying. It's the transmission goes the wrong direction. So don't say, don't pray. Then I would like take issue with it. Like it it affects people. Can like, I ask a question? Yeah. Could it be a teachable moment for the congregation to engage that person saying that prayer doesn't go to God? Like, like, hey, congregation, here's somebody who is a part of us who we love. Right. And they have this question about prayer. Yeah. And what do we all think about that? Like, maybe that's like a hippie way to approach it, but 
I don't know. I wonder. It's if, a gentle way of doing it. I wonder if if yeah. that person really believes strongly about it. If they could, you know, engage the congregation in a civil way, and and we could actually have like a bit of a dialectic about it instead of saying this person's a heretic. Please don't come back to Sunday service. I was just saying, like the things that I would deal with would be these but I'm things. In Tonism, with them, yeah. Is there be room, very creative. Is there room yeah. for like a creative platform of the of the dialectic continuing rather than this guy teaches this? If you see him, don't eat with him. Right, and right. He's not allowed to come to church. Sunday. Again, the don't eat with him thing. I think that probably was a necessity in the early church. Do I? Would I ever say that to people now? Don't eat with them. I probably wouldn't. I mean, that's troubled it would, me it would for have a long to be, time. It, but it would have to be a really seriously egregious thing for me to say, don't eat with that person. Like, I mean, it's just, like it's in the scripture. The That's Moonies, what right? The Moonies. The Moonies. Like, that pastor thinks he can have any of the wives of his congregation. Yeah. Don't eat with that person. Don't touch him. Don't talk to him. Yeah, yeah. Have like, you read about yeah, the Moonies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I yeah. agree I've with Andrew Moonies. about the Moonies. <laughs> I have met Moonies. They are really freaking... Yeah, yeah. there's just there's something. But strange I wouldn't say. But I wouldn't say to someone, "Don't eat with a Scientologist." No. I wouldn't say, "Don't eat with a Satanist." No, they're not so, pretending to be Christians. The Moonies kind of halfway were. Yeah, that's you know what studying that messed with me for like three or four days. Yeah, there's a whole chapter about the Moonies on my in, in the one of the books I read last semester. Just thinking of that guy and the mm, it's creepy. Just the way you must have approached women and that they consented, just it's just crazy. Uh, but but just to get back to the answer, like <laughs> would do. I I wouldn't say her I wouldn't say the word heretic because like I believe that I'm we have arrived at the positions that we hold today in some way by a subjective process. Like, do I believe they're absolutely true? I do, but I could be wrong. You know? So 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 within my church we it's an agreement like this church the people that give in this church i'm not a church i don't i don't pastor a church so i'm totally ignorant to how it would go i'm just postulating you know but i would say that like we have a statement of faith you know the statement of faith is this this is what we believe or what the pastor believes and the people are willing to you know pay him to preach about you know it, it's it's a it's a contract between people Along certain, you know, certain uh, propositions, you know, along certain fundamental truths. And some things are deeper than others, and some things are more dogmatic than others. But, like, what I would deal with a person, the way I would deal with a person in that church, I would just hate to, like, bring it to a cosmic sphere. Don't where have to I'm, use the H word. Where I'm assailing him alongside God, you know, like I, I just, yeah. I understand that's in scripture. I believe it's in scripture. I believe it was right at one point in time. I just find it really dangerous to superimpose that, that way of dealing with people from the first century at, on today's day. I just Do don't you, believe it's the same context. Do you think you can use heresy in a mundane, uh, context? Like, Like, okay, there, there are things that are, if you're a Christian, you believe the Bible is scripture, there are things that are clearly wrong, you know, if the Bible is the word of God, then that is against the word of God. Like, like Jesus is a starfish or something. That's, right, that's right. not right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe think of that you know, biscuit So that, that, that would be against the word of God. Right. But could we use heresy in a mundane way? Like... 
some guys preaching that, you know, because Abraham, in the Abrahamic days, they had multiple wives, that now he can have multiple wives. Like, I don't necessarily, I mean, there's the husband to one wife thing, so maybe that's not the best, best example, but... Like, can we decide that certain traditions of the church are worth saying, hey, dude, no, stop or get out of here? Like, I, I just I just think it's pretentious to include the traditions of the church because you're doing it. You're cutting out all the traditions you don't like. It, yeah, it's a totally subjective. It thing, is. But I think sometimes for the integrity of a group of people, a leader has to make a judgment call that that won't be explicitly defined for I them. agree I agree I just think that like the appeal to authority in saying this is a church tradition right. I just think is dangerous and I th I think that you can make determinations as a group of people that read scripture but reading it the opposite way I mean there are so many screwed up situations that happen and there is such a rich history of the Christian church that people who are properly educated have you know, a couple millennia of understanding to draw upon. If yeah, they look backwards. So, yeah. so, like, so there could be a humility. No, in I think too. the way that we form our opinions yeah. is obviously with the information that we, the, with the dialectic that we have a view to. I think that you'd be an idiot not to include the arguments all the way back. You know, concerning origin and Justin Martyr and Luther and you know Pelagius and all of these guys. I think that you'd be an idiot not to pay attention to those arguments. Right. But I think all the way back, it's turtles all the way down. Like, I don't know if you know that. But, <laughs> I don't know that expression. But, but it's basically explain? all the way down, it's a subjective dialectic between right. people that want to have some kind of understanding of what the hell's going on in time and space. Are you yeah. saying, Andrew, so, similar to Churchill, like, if you don't study history, you'll be doomed to repeat it in, yeah. in a religious sense? like. Hey, we should yeah. probably look back on all the screwed up stuff that happened so we don't do it again. I agree with that. what the church fathers said. Not only that, but we recognize we have this like somewhat frail, we believe divinely instituted, but this this organization that is made of people who are uh, often deluded, self-centered, yeah. you know, way out there. And an appeal to tradition and a, a a decision to say okay you're like having orgies in the church we can't have that you know there could be humility in the desire to exclude because mm -hmm. whoa this is like this is messing with the core of what we have with the agreement with yeah. the social contract that we have together yeah so yeah. that's that's a matter of of tradition and relationship and subjective judgment but one that has to happen but Can the tradition I just wanted to ask, I didn't mean to interrupt. So, orgies is pretty clear for me that you could right. deal with that a certain way. But, like, I'm just wondering how like, how do we approach a teaching point? Like, so, so this is a question I have, and it's a little experimental, but are you underestimating the intellectual capacity of your congregation to, like, try to weed out all the dangerous things so that they don't have to think? Like, are you almost doing a disservice to your congregation to oust the person with the strange ideas when those people in the congregation might be mature enough to be able to combat those ideas and actually come up with something more yeah. balanced or more helpful? I don't, I don't think that's... I mean, 
different congregations are more or less this way, but I think as human beings, we have a desire to form social groups of about a hundred people that have a leader and a direction and we have a we have a sense don't strip it that big. we have a we have a sense of pecking order and like animal power between people like i'm the head person you are listening and yeah we organize ourselves this way andrew don't like, tell me santa's not real <laughs> stop we, it. We, we 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 have this social organization and then you get some sniveling dude coming in you know oh orgies are okay now because it says so in revelation you know they weren't actually talking against that in the seven churches right you know the problem there is not so much a person's logical capacity to weed that out it's the fact that he is challenging the order like there is a social structure in place here you're coming in and you're messing everything up and sometimes that's good. Yeah. And sometimes that's very not good. Yeah. So wouldn't to in order to challenge now again orgies is is an easy thing to push aside. Right. But usually the heresy thing is is uh, centering around some kind of teaching point, and I'm just wondering like, is some of it territorial more than it is scriptural? Like, yeah. Like, like hey, you know, like when you're doing flyers and another flyer team is in your neighborhood or even the guy who you work with but you want to get 10 cents a flyer for the extra 100 in your backpack. Dave knows he's done no one's corner. <laughs> so, and you're like, "Oh, he's on my turf, you know. I got to get him out of here, you know." So I wonder if like church is like canvassing in some ways, not to be too cynical. I, I have a lot of respect for the church, but like is it territorial? Is it territorial in the sense that like Hey, this guy's coming into the place where, where we have things kind of set, and like, he's challenging my. I guess it goes back to date what Dave was saying. He's kind of challenging my authority I have in yeah. this congregation. You know, he's touching God's man. He's, he's going at the structure that we have in place that is right, and I know it's right. It almost yeah. feels territorial, like it's a pissing contest of sorts. I, I think that is an understanding of heresy i've certainly seen that like right. you go against god's man that's heresy <laughs> right you know that's that's like the most extreme form of it and i think i'm just trying to I look at it from a, a few different i think angles. there's a hint of that that's right but the person who is being challenged needs to then go and 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 question what the basis of his authority is he needs to yeah. have like a moses yeah. moment where absolutely he falls on his face before god and says okay is this should I yield to this person? Is this challenge correct? Like should I? You know, a- am I standing before God? Right? I feel yeah. I feel that's ex- exactly it because of this truth of Christianity be fa- being falsifiable. Like because because writ large in in scripture to me anyways is the idea that man with the wrong idea about God goes wayward and mistreats other people. So if that's within my own guidebook to reality, I have to include that in my own in my own perspective at all times. And if someone comes up to me, if a Nathan comes up to me, and I don't know it's a Nathan, I think it's a Shimei. I mean, these are names that you'd have to you'd have to read the stories about David to understand, but like you can mistake a Nathan for a Shimei or obvi- or or the opposite of that. Or you, you know, could mistake both of them for Absalom. Right, or you could mistake both of them for Absalom, right? And you and you essentially Without humility, you could have no hope of leading your people away from a wrong concept. You know, ultimately, you become 
the same type of a person as the Pope. Maybe you wouldn't do the same things, but the same type of authoritarian. That's terrifying. It's terrifying, but any, everybody is capable of it at all times. So, so like, so again, loosely, we're connected to the first century church and the humility that I would have before God would be, it would be kind of like a desire to go back to the original, the original events, you know, of what started this movement and what started the movement with me, you know, and do I believe that it's true? I believe that it's true. I believe that God is moving these people and will this thing hurt them, you know, and how do I deal with this and all of that? And to me, if the popes or the inquisitionists, you know, if the Jesuits were thinking at all like that, you know, maybe, maybe Christianity would have a different history, you know, but, but this, but this like, you know, kind of just toxic, you know, appeal to authority. Just, I, I just find it to be on its own. Like, no, just listen and do what you're told is actually could actually grow you grow the church in the wrong direction. Yeah. I just think, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we get drunk off of power. We, we might actually witness a legitimate move of the spirit in, in a church or maybe we're a part of that church or, uh, you know, in a, in a time period in history. And then somewhere along the way, we, we grab onto it and say it's ours. Mm. And I think that's where the danger is. Like, I think there were legitimate moves of God all throughout church history, but the bloodbath started really not when those movements were happening, but when people grabbed onto that movement and made it their own and tried to like almost channel that juice. And then it gets all muddy and crazy and people start dying and there's wars. And I just wonder if like, if the way we see the movement of God needs to be different. Like if we see something that we perceive as God, and maybe it's not, maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's, you know, time plus chance plus matter, I don't know, but maybe it was the Spirit of God. And when we see that, there should be something in us that takes a step back, not that takes a step forward. Like like when people always criticize the Jews for not wanting to go up to the mount that looked all crazy with the lightning and the smoke, and then Moses has the, the chutzpah to go up and check it out. I don't blame them. If I see the smoky mountain with the lightning and God speaking, I'm going to walk away. You know, I'm going to step back. I'm going to say like, wow. And I think in, in the Christian sphere in church history, and then in the current with this whole idea of heresy and who's in, who's out, who has authority, who doesn't, I have authority, you don't, whatever. Like if I see the movement of God, like there should be a spiritual default of like, wow, like I don't even know what's happening right now and I should just be so careful and so humble. I don't know, like I just feel like maybe this whole business of appealing to authority has to do with like getting drunk off the power that wasn't even your own in, in the first place. Yeah. Like you're mm. you're drinking something that's toxic to you because you're not a god. Yeah. Like you're, you're a mortal like drinking in something that's like way, you know, your system isn't able to process that with your fallen nature. Absolutely. So I just wonder if like maybe going forward in these podcasts i don't know if we'll do like a part two but we could maybe even talk about certain movements of god we saw in church history or that we think we saw in church history and like where did that movement that was healthy and was setting people free and delivering people of addictions turn into something where somebody like harnessed it and used it for something destructive yeah that's like a good case study that would be we'd have to look at specifics and maybe have like a reading list or something yes 
You don't like reading lists. I do. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> that goes way back. Um, but just to posit something, you know, to your point and, you know, and then to turn it over to Dave to close it out, I, I just was thinking like, I would I would love to, I would love to just posit something in the face of all of this like kind of gray area is that God's not insecure, you know, and like and a spiritual man is not going to be insecure with regard to like what people say about truth around him, hmm. you know, and like you can because Christianity is falsifiable and because it it's based on a historical event that actually happened or didn't, like then you can rest on that and the spirits, you know, and the spirits movement from that point. And like today I can know that like God doesn't correct every wrong idea in time and space. They fly around, they have their way, they have their cycles. It's cyclic, you know. And in my own life I can know that like there are certain things that I can base my life on and I can help other people base their life on those same premises, you know. And like there are basic things that govern the way that we think. You know, and those, that's a really positive thing. You know, obviously, where is the line between that and a strongly dogma, you know, dogmatic church paradigm? I, who knows, but I do know that like, that the spirit's there, that Christ rose from the dead and I can trust that. And I can think based on that, you know, based on the original premises, you know, and I can think like, in the same way that the early church was moved by those events and had had inertia because of them, like we should have the same inertia, yes. not based on the church, but based on the events, the original concepts. The church is a growth from the original event, not from itself, you know, so. And maybe to add to that also, some of the energy or... Uh, what later turns into dogmatism actually is a good thing. I mean, when when I talk to people uh, close to me, they had very specific uh, experiences that were just very like it was electrifying. Hmm. And uh, most of the most of uh, so much of it has they they you has been attempted to be passed on, but it's just so hard to pass on something that's a personal experience that where God really touched them. And there is like conviction to that. And there is motivation in that. And their lives are so strongly affected that they try to pass that on. And yes, part of like some, uh, where's, there's a warning about how much, uh, dogma we allow in. But on the other hand, like the, the zeal or the the it is zeal and sometimes but in sometimes you look at people whose lives like a drug addict's life who got totally changed and you can look at some of the things he says and it seems immature but what about the amount that he really like knows what happened to him mm. like that there's a good side to it like yet we're seeing second generation sometimes of what god can about how it can affect the a movement but how, what about the realness of when God really is moving, you know, and how it affects that generation, a person so strongly that we can actually, we can take from it. Like we, we get like what you're saying, like it happened, it happened in the beginning. It's still happening. Like movements are happening. And the, the beauty of that, I think is pretty amazing. Yeah, that's, I, I agree. I, I think that um, sometimes we, 
downplay people's excitement about their faith based on an experience that they you know can't explain in other terms other than the supernatural and i don't think we should do that and i, I am guilty of that me so, too somebody me gets too. stoked and i'm like yeah yeah give it two years and you get pooped <laughs> on by life <laughs> you're not going to be talking like that but maybe i should i should like receive from the energy of that beautiful moment for them in my own crusty lack of spirituality at least i like yeah. maybe i could it's like a lesson for me of a teachable moment for me when somebody who actually has the thing that I feel like I had before, but I'm kind of bitter about that. I don't have it now. Like if I could just <laughs> enjoy that, you know, in Christ with them instead of being a jerk, that'd be good. <laughs> Sound like the old man talking about the couple in love. Like, <laughs> oh, give it 20 years. You'll want to have a night to yourself. Well, <laughs> wait, uh, that, Part of that thought started for me where this weekend I was up in Philly and met a guy who was part of a church and he was telling me about how his church is on the, I think it's the northeast side of Philly, which is maybe the, or the southeast, I don't remember, but a really rough part of town. They, he says, you look it up in Google Maps and it's going to say Badlands right on it. <laughs> like he was proud of it and he said, we're the only official church that's also an official dojo. <laughs> nice. or like official boxing place and sure enough he's like there's a pulpit on one side and there's some speed bags on the other when we push all the chairs away so we can actually uh mm. you know get down and the whole church is just uh, former drug addicts prostitutes murderers where he goes they're the bottom of the barrel like me <laughs> but like you listen to him and like it's just so real mm. and I don't know. I feel like we can overanalyze it at so much of, of it just being zeal or the beginning and wait till you get to the intellectual side of it. But, but that's what we're talking about here is there's error of taking it to like trying to crystallize it, but the life of it is still is so there. It's you almost know, like a separate thing. Yeah, it's, it's a two, separate phenomena. It's twofold, right? Like, and and I if there's a church that I think. If there's a church that I think ha, you know, is operating in some kind of a biblical heresy, like that does not mean, number one, it doesn't mean that I'm right. It just means it's what I believe. And number two, it doesn't mean that the spirit's not there and alive mm -hmm. and using those people. And they might just not be in the spot intellectually where they're questioning the right things. Right. It might be unwittingly heretical there, you know? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, I'm really careful to make sure that I, when I call someone a heretic, which I don't want to do, you know, I don't yeah. want to do, but if I were to call them a heretic, that's not to say that they couldn't be moved by God or currently being moved by God. And they're like, just, they just haven't thought things through the right way. And they might even have their own like heretical zeal or whatever. And they might just be just on a trip intellectually, you know? And God will bring them around from that or something like to write someone off. I think the nature of the word heretic in Christian history is yeah. to write someone off. It's that's an to me, it's an evil thing to do. You're limiting their potential too to grow. Yeah, we all are still everyone in the studio is still growing. Yeah, if someone was to write us off listening to this podcast, which maybe they will. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, you give us some room to grow. Right? Yeah, please. Pretty, 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 pretty.